0: Hi, and welcome to Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We are committed to serving our community and the community abroad. We pray that the word you are about to hear will be a blessing to your life, and that you allow the Holy Spirit to open your heart and receive what the Lord is speaking to you. All right. It's great to be here. Let's get situated. A lot of a lot of familiar faces, people I love, people I literally grew up with. It's so great to see Robert Fred and Pastor Victor, and I saw Pastor Tom, and uh, uh, there's a story Robert Fred once wanted to fight me, a men's retreat, won't go into why, I may have thrown a basketball and knocked him in the head, it was the only time I think I feared for my life from someone in the church, Just looking at him. uh so old faces, but uh, uh, lots of familiar ones, too, which is, which is always exciting. I was literally born around the same time the church was started. So when I say I literally grew up with the trajectory of Resurrection Church, it's true. I was born in September. The church was started that January. Uh, so as I got older, so did, so did the church. And it's always, you know, Brooklyn always has a, I don't live in Brooklyn now. I live in Seattle. Although, like every good New Yorker, I'm moving to Florida. So, <laughs> uh, eventually, uh, well, by the end of the year. But I'm in Seattle now, and, and my two older kids are here, Asher and Ava. My wife has our youngest set of twins. We have two sets of twins. And my wife is uh, in, in Seattle with uh, Hunter and Olivia are the younger ones. They're almost, uh, almost two. But uh, I love Brooklyn, I, a special part of my Heart and always will for growing up here, but when I come back here, I always remember what I don't miss about it. Like It just like hits me right away. Alternate side parking, right? It's like, I, when I was out of college, I wasn't making that much money, uh, but I thought I hit the jackpot because I had my own parking spot, <laughs> and I didn't have to move it like two days out of the week for whatever reason, and you try to explain alternate side parking to someone outside of New York City, and they look at you like you're brain damaged. (laughs) It's not my rule, you know, just got to abide by it. Uh, So it is one of those things that as soon as you're outside of New York City, I don't think I could, if I ever came back to New York City, it's one thing I can ever, ever, ever get used to is alternate side parking. In fact, like, if you want to use that as an evangelistic tool, you can say to people, you know, heaven is like, imagine a place with no alternate side parking and you get to be in the presence of Jesus. Try it out there. (laughs) Uh, clearly scarred as a kid having to get up at seven o'clock to move the car and then double park it, hoping someone doesn't want to, you know, blocking someone. Oh, you know, the, you know, everyone knows the, the, the journey with that, uh, and again, just want to reiterate, Happy Mother's Day. I mean, moms are so amazing, juggling so much, right? I just, my, my wife tells me, she's like, I don't know how you managed life before me. And it's true. I don't know how I did that. And then on top of that, the responsibilities of kids and juggling uh, uh, four kids and, and just the mom, moms here do so much to manage the household. And what a blessing they are. So we're continuing our series in Joshua, Homecoming. And today we're going to be in uh, chapters 3 and 4. And we know uh, where we're at this point, right? Joshua is taking the lead for Moses. Moses died. Joshua is now the, uh, the one who's anointed to lead them into the promised land. The Israelites have been wandering 40 years because they weren't obedient to God. So the, the God, as judgment to them, said so we're going to wait for those who are 18 and under or uh, 18 and over to, to to die, and then the new generation of Israelites are going to go and fulfill what I had promised for you guys, but you weren't obedient. So Joshua is the one, uh, and they're they're ready. They're making moves. They're on their 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 journey, uh, ready to get to the promised land and. Uh, what we have early on in Joshua in this account is, I think, uh, the, uh, both of a crux of our faith, what we believe, and also the tension that surrounds what we believe. And I want to get to that tension shortly. But starting in verse, uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim. Thank God for Google pronunciation, right? <laughs> Shittim, right? S-H-I-T-T-I-M, right? It can be a really awkward mispronunciation on a Sunday morning. So, set out early from Shatim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you were to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead Of them. Now, within these six verses, there is some rich imagery. First, we see that Joshua rose up early in the morning. He rose up early in the morning. He was a man of action to connect with God. And I think, even right there, is something that we can, before even going on to to, to what we have uh, in in, what speaks in the rest of these verses here, Joshua rose up early in the morning and he got instruction from God. I mean, that's something we must be thinking about. Like, what are we doing to set the pace of our day? Are we actually getting up and what's the first thing we doing? We we checking email? Are we checking social media? Are we turning on SportsCenter to see who won? Don't worry if your next fan, they probably lost when season comes on. You need to check that. Sorry, Robert Fred. <laughs> But it's an important question. Joshua rose up early, he connected with God. And, and, and I'm telling you, when I made that transition of making sure that I got up early, and I knew what time, I was like, you know what, If I have, to, I have to go to bed at in order for me to get up at 6, right? Getting up at 6 a.m. means I can at least have 30 to 45 minutes just alone with God to read, to do a devotional, to get some prayer time before anyone else is up. Why? Just so I can have that connection with God, to hear his voice, to sit silently in, to see what he wants to say to me, so I can have that frame of mind for the the rest of the day, rather than getting up and being always in a rush, being always hurried because you're missing out on something, and God doesn't speak to us in these rushing moments when we have a hurry pace. And if we just order our lives simply, I know what I have to do to get to bed at a normal time in order to get up early, to have that time with God so I can set the pace, for not just me, but for my household as well, and Joshua is setting the pace for the in, all the tribes of Israel in order for them to go into the promised land. So, are we communicating? Are we prioritizing that communion with God early in the morning or whatever best is with our schedule? We block off time. It's uninterrupted. This is God time. This is on our calendar as the most most meaningful part of our day, because if if we're not spending time with God uh, before all the other challenges of life and responsibilities of life, then then our time with God becomes just a chore. It becomes an add-on. It becomes, oh, I have to do this, rather than this is something that is vital to my spiritual growth and to my development as whatever responsibility or work you have. Everything flows down from your time with God. Uh. Verse 2, it says, after three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your position and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. After three days, all throughout the Bible, three days has some really powerful imagery, right? Three days, Jonah was in the belly of the fish. Three days we have here, um, and before they were going to move out into the promised land in Exodus, uh, Moses went to Pharaoh, requested three days to go out into the wilderness to make a sacrifice to the Lord. It's all imagery for what Jesus dying, being buried, three days, and then rising up again. So we have uh, to note that important imagery. And what was what were the Israelites taking along with them? The Ark of the Covenant, right? It was this inort, inort, uh, in or- ornate chest. Uh, and it had the Ten Commandments, right? So God's law, God precepts for them to follow. It had Aaron's rod. Aaron was the first formal high priest. He was the one that made atonement for all the sins of the people once a year. It had manna, which was food from heaven. It was a reminder of God's provision for them. And most importantly, the Ark of the Covenant was the place where God's presence literally resided. Right? Where the Ark of the Covenant went, that's where God was going. They knew where God was because of the Ark of the Covenant. And what do we have now? Today, we don't have some ornate piece of furniture or a chest. If we believe that Jesus rose again, he's our Lord and Savior, we are literally temples. For the Holy Spirit, we are literally walking ambassadors for God's presence because Jesus, as the Bible says, is the ultimate high priest because of his death, resurrection, death, burial, and resurrection. And that's why the Bible says there's only one mediator between God and man, right? And that is Jesus Christ. But I really want to narrow in on verse 3 and 4. And I think here is where we arrive both at the, the crux of our faith and some tension That is always there. Verse 3 says in Joshua 3, verse 3 and 4, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. So you have all this wandering, and the Israelites still had no idea where they were going exactly. They still didn't know the path they were about to take. It was a new land. It was a new frontier. Everything was new and what God had laid out for them. But what it required of them was just this. It required a bold obedience. That's it. A bold obedience to what God had lined up for them, right? They didn't know where to go, what was exactly on the other side, but they knew who was giving the order that they had to abide by, and they knew that God had only good intentions for them on the other side, even if they didn't know exactly what was waiting for them, even if they just had a general idea or a general concept, they knew that the person giving them these orders to go ahead was the one who had only good intentions for them, only had their benefit in mind, and that's why they had to have a bold obedience, even though they didn't know the way to go, it was a path they had been on previously. It was unfamiliar to them. Now, likewise, we are to have what? Bold obedience in what God is telling us to go, right? And now that seems simple enough. It does. All right, God says to do this. God says to go there. All right, God, I'm going to follow. But if we're being honest, right? And here's the tension. Even though we have to just simply obey what God says, is it ever that simple? Of course not. It's never that simple if we're being honest with ourselves because more often than not, what God requires for us is the sacrifice. He requires us to build up a trust. He requires us to build up a faith that can only be walked in supernaturally as we trust God and not the present circumstances like the Israelites, not knowing the path, but have to trust God that they're moving towards that right direction. See, the tension in our faith is that while we want to live a deeply fulfilling life in God, and that should be our goal, we're going to live a deeply fulfilling life of God, and it's merely a matter of obeying what God tells us. It's merely a matter of obeying God's precepts and seeking his will for our lives, right? God, I want your will, and how do I reside in it? But the tension is that while, like, this is conceptually easy for us, right? Okay, we can get that. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to walk and obey God's will, Walking it out is the farthest thing from easy because God's will for our lives always happens what? In the process. It happens in the stretching. It happens in the unknown moments. It happens in when, our, when God is telling us one thing and we can see with our eyes something else, another barrier ahead of us. And it always happens in those uncomfortable moments where we know what God is saying, but it's just so much easier to do what we've been doing all along. And God is saying, well, no, no, just follow me. It's that simple. Follow me. It's that simple. And, and our flesh, right, our, our nature is saying, well, it's actually not that simple. It requires me to step outside the confines of my comfort zone. It, it requires me to do something I'm not really comfortable with. It requires me to step out in faith and, and in that stretching. And, and that's where it becomes difficult. And that's where that tension resides because what we do have to do, what we have to do to get to that place What God has for us, that destination, is we have to kick to to the curb what? Our selfish desires, our selfish ambitions, our self-centered attitudes, because we naturally, because of our sinful natures, like to what? Glorify ourselves. We like to build up our own kingdom and not God's kingdom. We like to seek out what's What's first and foremost will benefit us and maybe not will glorify God. Even though it may not even be sinful, it may be just easier to stick in the routines that we've been doing all along, even though it's not the destination that God wants for us. And I can relate it just as a parent. I know what God's called me to do, right? My biblical command is to train up my kids in the way they should go. And if I do, they won't depart, right? To bring them up in the instruction and knowledge of the Lord. Simple enough, right? But it's not simple right? Because what? I have to go ahead, and parents know this, you have to devote time and carve out time for discipleship with your kids. You have to look for those moments, those heart moments with your children. You can be, build deep, meaningful connections. You have to be present with your kids, which means you may have to let alone work responsibilities, put them aside, or personal ambitions. You may have to have be uh, sacrificial with your time. You're no longer living like uh, you're single, no longer living like you're married without kids. It requires the sacrifice to go ahead and get on the destination where God has called you to do and you know, the promises that are there, but it's in the process that is difficult because you're dealing with real-world realities and real-world challenges. It means asking every day, I know I do this, for more wisdom and discernment and love and patience, not to just deal with my kids, but to deal with the realities around me. I know what God's called me to do, but it's in the process of trying to live A righteous life, viewing every day as a training ground for righteousness, every day as a training ground where I get up and say, all right, all right, God, how am I training today to more conform to your image? How am I training today? What do you have in front of me? I know you've called me to do. Now, what do you have in front of me today to actually get to that place? What do you have for me today that's going to actually grow me in your image and grow me not only as a parent, as a father, but grow me as a son and grow me as a brother in Christ to so many people? That is where our mindset should be. The Israelites, like the Israelites, we don't know exact details what God has for us on the other side or even the path. But when God tells us to move, it requires that we have that bold obedience to go ahead and do it. Many times we have difficulty obeying God, right? Walking in that bold obedience because we don't believe what God says will come to pass. Now, we may not put it that crudely. We not actually articulate that to ourselves, but it's how we act it out. If we're not going and stepping out in faith, then, then in our heart of hearts, we actually don't think that God's, what God says will come true. Right, Which is a snapshot of the story of Israel. The first crop, first generation of Israelites didn't believe. So they got stuck wandering in the desert for 40 years. This crop did believe and they were able to occupy the uh, move towards occupying the land that God had promised. And that was because someone did believe and that was Joshua. Joshua believed what God had promised. He exhibited bold obedience to what God was nudging him, where God was leading him, where God was prompting him. And even Joshua, what's amazing is even Joshua needed to be encouraged, right? Even Joshua needed to be encouraged. Here was a man who God—he saw what God had, had done uh, over and over again in the wilderness with the Israelites. He saw that he was favored to take over Moses, and even God had to encourage him, right? As we see in the first chapter of Joshua. Where God says what? right? Have I not commanded you as a command? Have I not commanded you, Joshua? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And that's what set the pace for Joshua, knowing that even though he didn't know the exact destination, even though he didn't know where exactly he was going, he knew the general idea, the general promise, but he knew that the Lord would God would be with him wherever he go and that he had to get exhorted from God himself to be encouraged, not to go be afraid, not to be dismayed, but God would be with them. So when God is putting something in our hearts, and for each of us it's going to be for me included, where God are you requiring that bold obedience? It could be with giving. It can be with giving our time in a volunteer aspect. It can be giving more financially. It can mean putting aside work responsibilities to be more present mother or present father. It can be going and finishing that degree that we just have lagging or getting an advanced degree. It can be finding that mentor who is going to be honest with us to give us that corrective criticism that's going to help us conform to God's image. It can be being honest with ourselves, to taking a survey of our own emotions and being honest like, am I, am, am I growing or am I keeping these sinful patterns at such a deep inside level that they're not being... They're not being allowed to be dealt with. I'm not allowing God to deal with them so I can move towards that destination he has for me. We all need bold, every single one of us needs bold obedience for where God wants us to go. And if we just allow ourselves to be prompted by the Holy Spirit, say, "Holy, Holy Spirit, where are you requiring me? to engage in bold obedience? Where are you requiring me to be prompted by your spirit to move forward to your destination, to what you have for me, a road that I don't know of, but I'm gonna go anyway. Even though I don't know it, I'm gonna go anyway because I'm not gonna be afraid because I know wherever I go, it is the Lord God who goes before me. And the thing about bold obedience, it's going to be different for each of us, right? Each of us is going to have something different, some type of fear or insecurity or something that is stopping us from getting us to that destination. But the idea of bold obedience is for all of us. Every day is our training ground for righteousness. Every day uh, we're looking for God's vantage point in our lives. And I love what it says in verse 13. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, and it says the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. And it almost doesn't flow grammatically, right? It's, and as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, and it says the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap, right? The water is parted. The Lord of all the earth. It's sort of just a parenthetical, right? Right in between there, a parenthetical. And it's an amazing phrase, the Lord of all the earth. So whatever we think is holding us back, we have this, the Lord of all the earth. They were about to go to a land that was promised to them, inhabited by people who were physically much stronger than them and had a lot more might. And here again, Joshua is just reminding them as we move forward, just the Lord of all the earth. It's the prompt, it's that parenthetical as to why we should obey when we hear God's calling, when we hear God's prompting, even though it doesn't make sense for us in the natural, even though it may be uncomfortable for us, is because why? It's the Lord of all the earth who's giving us this command, who has our best interest at heart. And of course, the Lord of all the earth did show up. The Levitical priest stepped in with the Ark of the Covenant, and It was not, it it was in such a way this miraculous moment happened that it couldn't be written off naturally, right? It wasn't like low tide season or uh, anything. It was not only just high tide season, but it was flood tide season. These water, the river was overflowing. It was flooding at all the time. And in the midst of this flood, in the midst of what did not make sense in the natural at all, the waters dried up. And it turned into dry ground for the Israelites to cross over. See, when the Lord of all the earth shows up, he makes his presence known. He makes it clear. That's his objective as the Lord of all the earth. Joshua 4, and this is really one of my my favorite portion in preparing for this, starting in verse 1. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. You see... When we pursue bold obedience in our lives and we witness God show up supernaturally, it's not just for us, right? It's not just for us. It's so that we can carry it on and pass on not only these stories but God's working in our family's lives to our kids and their kids and their kids, it's to say, like, look at the Lord, what the Lord has done for me, and look what he can do for you. It's never about just us. And many times, God, I mean, we all can have our own Jordan River story, where God, where we, didn't, we, we, we thought something was impossible, and God showed up miraculously. We all have those. And many times I think it's easy to experience it and then move on. And what Joshua is instructing the people here is no. We're not going to experience this and move on. What are we going to do? We're going to take these stones and we're going to have them as a memorial because we're going to pass on what happened to our kids and our kids' kids. We're going to let them know the heritage that they are part of. We're going to let them know what God did for us and that he wants to do to them. Like it is our job to pass these on, right, to make sure that our children and our children's children what, love the Lord our God with all our hearts and minds, our soul, and our st- strength it's not just a paving the way for us but it's God paving the way for future generations he wants us to celebrate it he wants us to reflect on it it should be a joyous moment I remember it was a few years ago when I felt convicted or just God just spoke to me to get a journal for each one of my kids and then a journal for our, our family in general So I have a section on my iPhone, my notes section, where I I, I pray and get words for my kids, words of encouragement, prophetic words for them. I write down really cool stories that happen throughout the day, and I do it for all my kids. Why? So I can transfer to their journal one day when they're older and say, look, look at at God's favor on your life, even at this age. Look at God's favor on your life, what you did here. Look at the story your teacher told me when you did this. This is God. What God showed me is going to happen in your life, son, daughter, and I have the journal for them, right? Why? Because I'm celebrating. It's not just about me and my wife enjoying it. It's passing it on. It's making sure that we use it as an occasion that's a joyous one, a triumphant one, where they know that look what God did for not just me, but look what God is doing for them. And also, I have one for our entire household. Will we think? Will we put family miracles down? Family miracle, because again, it's not just about me. And it's not just about my, um, what happened immediate to me. So I know in our family journal, what I have documented is how God restored my marriage. How God not only restored my marriage, but we had infertility issues with my wife. Now we have two sets of twins. What's in our family journal also is how how my son had complications, Asher is here today, had complications in, inside, uh, inside the womb. He and Ava, his, his twin sister, had to be born at 32 weeks prematurely. But God watched over them the entire process. My son recently had breathing issues. Out of nowhere, couldn't breathe, I had to take him to the ER. But God healed them miraculously. The doctor still doesn't know what happened and what's the cause. These are all aspects of their faith journey, that as parents, we need to document them and pass them down and give it to them, right? It is our testimonies. And the thing about our testimonies, faith begets faith. See, even with our own testimonies, we need these small victories to stir up faith in the inside of us. So why? To prepare us for the larger victories God has ahead of us. And we see this with so glaringly obvious with the Israelites. All right, here's a pretty here's a faith issue for them. You're going to go ahead and cross this river during flood season. And it actually turns out this was a minor miracle compared to what was about to happen, right? Because as I see, they cross over the Jordan River on dry ground during flood season. What? It's only preparing them to have that faith for the larger miracle. Go march around a wall seven times of a fortified city silently. Until the last day. One requires a lot more faith than the other. Oh, yeah, you know, the the ground is dry, you know, the Levites are already in there. I'll go ahead. Boom. Wow, it's kind of cool. You wait, Josh, you want us to do what? You want us to walk around? But faith begets faith. And when we sit and say back and meditate on the faith moments that God has already given us. These little small victories, right? It's to prepare us for that destination that he has. The destination for them wasn't crossing the river. The destination is the promised land, but they needed faith to cross the river to get to their destination, and what God has for you is a destination in mind, and you need to get yourself into a point where you're allowing the Holy Spirit to stretch you, you're allowing yourself to have that radical, bold obedience, even in the small things, because it's the small things that are going to get you to the large things, and it's not to even to get so, uh, uh, so focused on the small things and stressed out the small things, but to embrace it. I'm embracing it. This is my testimony. This is my heritage. And it's not just my heritage for myself. It's my heritage for my kids and my kids' kids. It's my heritage. It's going down with me. I love this verse and I'll be closing shortly. But I love this verse in Psalm 119 111. This is David, the psalmist, and he says, your testimonies have I claimed as my heritage forever, and why? He continues, they are the very joy of my heart. Your testimonies I have claimed as my heritage forever, and why? Because they are the joy of my heart. And if we step back and think honestly, what, what are these testimonies that are the joy of my heart? I mean, the joy of my heart this is something that should animate us in the morning. This is something that we should be excited to pass around, pass down to our kids, pass down as we share the gospel with other people. These are my testimonies. This is part of my heritage. This is part of my legacy. And what's, what's so wonderful about this is each one of us is going to have a unique testimony. Each one of us, we're all in the larger testimony, of course, of what God has done, but each individual testimony is going to be different, and it's something that we should celebrate and have joy together And as we pass down and explain to our kids so they can have their own testimonies, and they can have their own heritage, and they can have their own frame of reference of what God has done for their parents and their parents' parents, and what God is doing with them. You know what's so important? What God was dealing, uh, or or just speaking to me uh, is He said, "Jason, I want you, you need to wear your faith for your kids. You need to wear it. If they don't see that it's the most important thing animating your life, well, what's the point of it animating their life?" but if they see it's something to be celebrated, if it's something that we reflect on, if it's something that we cherish, it's something that we share often, if they see that it animates me and that I carve out my time to be with God and we take these bold steps of obedience and we're talking about faith with them, they see that it's not just like conceptual for us, it's something that we're walking out and they want to be involved in as well. Why? Because it becomes their heritage, it becomes the joy of their heart, it becomes not something that is conceptual to them. Them, but it's something that is reality to them. I think today, as I was praying, I felt like the Lord wanted to start two two areas, wanted to start new testimonies in people, new testimonies where a bold obedience is required to step forward in an area that. If you're being honest with yourself, the Holy Spirit has been prompting you. And it's at this moment where it's just requiring that bold obedience to take that step of faith and move forward. Whatever that is, whatever that prompting is, there's a bold obedience that is needed. And today, the, the, the Holy Spirit wants to get you on that journey to get you on that destination. To start that testimony. And for others, I feel like there's a... that there's been a staleness with testimonies, that the testimonies that animated you earlier in your walk with God don't bring that same joy. And it's because the faith begets faith. The small testimonies are there for to beget and grow to the larger testimonies. And there's just a renewal that God wants to bring where he wants to remind you of these small testimonies, wants to remind you of this heritage that you have for him. Why? So it can serve as a springboard. A springboard to get you back on the destination. Why don't we just stand up? God, we thank you for your presence here today. We thank you for the testimonies that you have allotted and carved out for each one of us. We thank you for the unique imprint on our lives. Lord, we ask for just a renewed fire and stirring of faith on the inside of us that you would give us boldness, that there would just be such a boldness to enter into your goodness, to enter into your promised land for us, to enter into the path, the destination. Even though we don't know the way that when we feel and hear that prompting that we would go, that you would give us that bold embrace. And God, for those of us who need a renewed sense of the joy of our heritage, The joy of our testimony. I even hear the Lord saying that there's a conviction of even falling in on on, on starting that heritage for that point to be today where there's been some procrastination. But the Lord is saying... Today is a day where you need to start with intentionality, that heritage to write out. And that there's even, there's, there's, many of you don't even know this, but the original name of this church, it probably is legally too, to this day, is called Christian Heritage. And the Lord is saying that if you would just embark on this journey, on this path, that there is going to be a heritage unleashed in your family line, that there's going to be a heritage that is unleashed through you that even those who are not seeing their children walk, that if you start to carve out and write out and reflect and to celebrate and to ask me, to ask God for times where I can, we can share these and reflect that the heritage is going to come forward. The heritage is going to rise up and I just see it just bubbling up. It's bubbling up like a spring coming forward. But you need to make that step of saying, I will commit to a heritage for my household. What did Joshua say before he left at the end? He said, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And there needs to be a, a, there needs to be a dedication put forward from many of us here, where we're going to have that same type of conviction as for me and my household we will serve the lord and it's not just for our immediate households but it's for people who god's put us in our inner circle it is spiritual sons and daughters it is grandkids it is a heritage that is not just confined to you but it's confined to the who god has put in your circle so with that i just if you want prayer on starting that heritage in getting to that point where your testimony becomes not a testimony for you and your destination, but a testimony for you and those who will come after you. You know, the, God, the Bible says that he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What? That's three generations right there. It's not just for your testimony, but it's the generation after you and the generation after that. There are multiple generations tied up in your testimony. And the Lord wants to illuminate that testimony, and he wants to set it ablaze. If that's you, and if, if this is the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, I just want to pray for you. Just just come up. Amen. We pray that you were blessed by this word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at ResurrectionChurchOfNY.com or give us a call at 718-436-0242 and be sure to follow us on Instagram at ResChurchNYC. Take care and God bless.